Hello, and welcome to the Urology COVID Lecture Series Podcast, brought to you by the UCSF Department of Urology. In today's episode, we have Dr. Alex Vanni from Leahy Hospital and Medical Center talking about management of failed urethroplasty. Hi, my name is Alex Vanni and I'm the director for the Center of Reconstructive Urologic Surgery at Leahy Hospital Medical Center. And I'm the program director for our GURS certified uh, fellowship in reconstructive urologic surgery. And I wanna thank Dr. Hampson and everyone at UCSF for the opportunity uh, to give this talk today on the management of failed urethroplasty, the use of grass and flaps for complex urethral reconstruction. So these are my disclosures. So with failed anterior urethroplasty, what are we not gonna discuss in our talk today? Well, we're not gonna talk about revision urethroplasty that can be managed with simple anastomotic urethroplasty. We're not gonna discuss uh, failed bulbar urethroplasty after a previous dorsal or ventral buccal graft where one can simply augment the contralateral side with another oral mucosa graft. We're not gonna discuss uh, the basics of penile fasciocutaneous flaps as these are uh, a basic part of the reconstructive armamentarium of most uh, reconstructive urologists. And we're not gonna discuss a straight, straightforward two-stage erythroplasty, uh, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. So what are the options available uh, and what are the objectives that we're gonna discuss today in our talk? So regarding innovative surgical options, we're gonna talk about graft options when oral mucosa is either contraindicated or insufficient material for urethral reconstruction. We're gonna talk about reconstructive strategies when you encounter a very poor graft bed. These might include long segment radiation strictures, previous infection like Fournier's gangrene and hypospadias cripples, which are probably the most common uh, problem that we see as reconstructive surgeons where a poor graft bed is encountered. And then we're gonna talk about the reconstructive options for long segment obliteration where there's no lumen. And this is usually referred to as bulbar urethral necrosis. So what can we do when oral mucosa use is contraindicated? In situations where we might encounter this are when patients have had previous bilateral or buccal mucosa harvests, if they've had radiation to the uh, mouth or other oral cavity diseases such as lichen planus. Now in this talk, uh, certainly a perineal urethrostomy is a great and viable option for many and most patients, uh, but there are patients who wanna be reconstructed. So in this talk, we're really gonna focus on uh, the options available for really uh, significantly challenging reconstructive uh, patients. So in this situation where oral mucosa grafts are contraindicated or, or not sufficient for uh, reconstructing long strictures, we have turned to rectal mucosa grafts. So rectal mucosa grafts are not new. They were previously described by Xu in China uh, for long segment urethral reconstruction and they used tubularized rectal mucosa grafts for long segment urethral reconstruction. 
The problem with this, however, is that it required a bowel resection of the sigmoid bowel. And that obviously is really not tenable for the most uh, patients and certainly the United States uh, is really not a, a good option to do a laparotomy bowel resection for urethral reconstruction. So uh, we previously published our pilot series in 2016 and we were the first to uh, report doing a transanal rectal mucosagraft harvest uh, for salvage urethral reconstruction. And so we set up a pilot study with four patients. These are all patients who had previously had panurethral reconstruction with buccal grass that had failed. They, they were previous lichen sclerosis patients. And three of those four patients in the pilot study with a follow-up of 18 months were successfully reconstructed. And I think most importantly, what we showed in this pilot study was that uh, this is technically feasible and safe for patients. So uh, here is a setup of the, uh, this can be done either robotically, uh, transanally, which is uh, showed up here, with a TAMIS setup. And here is the TEM setup, which is uh, the more classic way in which what we do this uh, with our colorectal surgeons. And this is something that you can definitely do if you have a good colorectal surgery department. Uh, TEM surgery is something that colorectal surgeons do to remove low-grade uh, rectal polyps and rectal cancers, where they strip the mucosa transanally uh, uh, with a setup like this. And you can see on the right here, um, you can really get a, a very long graft. We can, you know, you can routinely get 13 to 16 centimeters and four centimeters wide of, of a graft. And uh, what I would say is if you do these, uh, when they harvest this, there's some cautery effect on the edges. And so we do harvest about a four centimeter wide graft that we then can trim all of the edges of the graft to get the healthy, uh, healthy portion of the graft for use in reconstruction. And we've used these graphs uh, in almost every imaginable way for urethral reconstruction. This is a patient who had previously failed as two-stage buccal graft retoplasty. Uh, this patient had lichen sclerosis, and we actually use this as a ventral onlay. You can see the rectal graft here. This patient uh, was, was, was successfully reconstructed and is now, I think, almost uh, five years out from surgery. This is a patient who had also previously failed a two-stage buccal graft urethroplasty with a very long segment urethral stricture from the mid-bulbar to the distal penile urethra. Uh, it's actually hard to see the rectal mucosa graft here because of the color it blends in with the dartos, but you can see this is the graft here, uh, quilted laterally on the corporal body, uh, and then closed uh, up here. And actually in 2019, we were the first to publish using rectal mucosa graft in a staged fashion. This is a, a distal penile and fossa navicularis uh, first stage repair. And this is a bulbar first stage repair. Uh, and both of these, uh, this patient has done great and is now several years out from reconstruction. So it's a viable graft that can work very well. Uh, I would say that it is very thin. It is much more difficult to work with than buccal mucosa, which is a much hardier graft. Uh, so it's a little bit more challenging in those regards. And the other clinical pearls I would give again is because there's some cautery effect in, in harvesting the graft to make sure to, to harvest a significantly wider graft than you would want so that you can trim the edges uh, to have a healthy graft without any cautery effect uh, used in your reconstruction. So after our pilot study, uh, our TURNS group did a multi-institutional evaluation of this technique 
Dr. Breyer from UCSF, UC, uh, Dr. Zhao from NYU, uh, ourselves, uh, and Dr. Volsky at the University of Washington at the time um, reported our outcomes on 13 patients, two of whom uh, were transgender patients who had uh, strictures of the phalloplasty. And in uh, this publication in the Journal of Urology, um, the mean stricture length was 13 centimeters. And again, you can see the mean rectal mucosagraft length was 10.6 centimeters, so you can get very long graphs. There were nine TEMS, uh, three TAMIS, so a few robotic harvests. Uh, one of these patients had a rectorethral fistula as well. And at a follow-up of 13.5 months, the success rate was 85%. And very importantly, there were no bowel complications. So I think what this demonstrates is that for the uh, challenging outlier surgical case in which uh, the patient really desires reconstruction, these can be successfully performed with a very good uh, success rate in the most difficult cases. Uh, the other thing that's nice about these cases is that uh, the patient really, they have no pain from the bowel resection as it's above the dentate line. So uh, these are very well tolerated and patients can actually be discharged home the same day. So what are the options for uh, reconstructing patients with a very poor graft bed. So these can be long segment strictures with radiation or previous severe infection. So if you think about bulbar urethral stenosis, where there's, I use the word stenosis instead of obliteration, which we will talk about later, where there's narrowing but not complete obliteration, I think there's a variety of different approaches that, that we can take to reconstruct these strictures. And by no means is this list meant to be exhaustive as there are uh, numerous and probably dozens of different approaches that have been published in some form over the years. But these are the, the major ways in which I think about surgical options, which I have found to be effective for very challenging cases. So if the patients have a prepuce, a pedicled prepucial flap is certainly an option. These can, be, these can provide uh, long, uh, flaps that for very long strictures, uh, 13, 15 centimeters occasionally. Um, if there's no prepuce, then that's sort of another area uh, in a different algorithm by which to think about reconstructing these patients. Certainly sandwich graft and flap techniques are, are a good option and I'll show some examples of that a little bit later. Uh, a ventral buckle graft with a gracilis flap to support the graft is something that we uh, have published on. I'll show that a little bit later, which is a very good option. Um, there are a number of different medial thigh flaps. Uh, the Singapore flap is something that we have used that works well. And then if they don't have a prepuce, of course, you can still use a fascia cutaneous penile skin flap as described by Mackinich, which is a circular flap as well. So the pedicle perpucial flaps um, can be used as a vascularized onlay and can be used as a dorsal or ventral onlay for a stenosis. Uh, an advantage potentially to placing this flap dorsally as opposed to ventrally is potentially avoiding any sacculation or pseudodiverticulum over subsequent years as it's supported by the corporal bodies. And then if it's an obliterative stricture, these can be tubularized as a tubularized flap. And, and then uh, in 2012, uh, Sri Vastava published 144 patients uh, who underwent pedicle prepucial flap urethroplasty, and with a 40-month follow-up actually showed really good results. 
as a dorsal onlay, they had an 85% success, and as a circumferential flap, a 75% success. And the success was defined in these uh, papers as need for subsequent procedure. And again, uh, most of you probably are recognize what a propitial flap would look like, but again, you have the prepuce as the as the flap supported by the dartos pedicle. Uh, and this can be transferred really almost anywhere from the bulbar urethra to the penile urethra. And so when you have a, a situation where the graft bed may be very poor and you're worried about a buccal graft uh, surviving, this is a way potentially of circumventing uh, that, uh, that problem. Medial thigh flaps are another way uh, to manage challenging uh, bulbar strictures and uh, recurrent stenosis after previous perineal urethrostomy. So uh, Dr. Zimman, my mentor at Leahy, we, uh, has published on this over the years using the single core flap for complex bulbar reconstruction, uh, as well as uh, fixing complex perineal fistulas where additional tissue is needed. And the single pore flap is a, is a, a medial thigh flap based off of the perineal artery. Uh, you can see that the, the width of the flap is six centimeters and the length is about 15 centimeters. And this provides a wide base flap where you don't devascularize the distal aspect of the flap off the perineal artery. And this can be used, again, it can be used uh, to fix fistulas and to cover large skin defects in the perineum. Uh, and it can be used uh, also you can use just the skin aspect of it as an augmentation, as a ventral onlay in the bulbar urethra. Uh, you can also um, uh, uh, use this with oral mucosa graft uh, dorsally sort of with, to then you have overlapping uh, tissue transfer techniques or otherwise referred to as a sandwich technique. So this is a, a great way that we've used in certain cases. Um, Dr. Zhao and those at NYU recently published a case report using a propeller flap uh, to fix a recurrent stricture after a perineal urethrostomy. And a propeller flap really, again, is off based off the perineal artery and is very similar to the single pore flap, which I just demonstrated. And you can see here what they have is this a stenosis of the perineal urethrostomy. And they've marked out two different potential medial thigh flaps depending on uh, what they're going to need once they open the stricture. And so you can see the strictures opened here uh, to 30 French, and then they've elevated the flap, which they then advance the apex of that flap to the proximal aspect of the urethrotomy. And then close the defect, which you can see here. Uh, and I think these sorts of flaps are a great way uh, to fix really challenging uh, surgical strictures. The ventral buccal graft and gracilis flap has really become a mainstay uh, in our surgical arm of imitarium, uh, primarily for long segment radiation strictures where the graft bed uh, really can't be trusted uh, or for patients who have failed multiple urethral reconstructions. We'll occasionally see patients who have had a failed dorsal onlay as well as a ventral onlay uh, buccal graft urethroplasty elsewhere. And so these are cases in which using a ventral graft, which is then supported by the gracilis flap, works extremely well. Uh, and this is sort of a pictorial demonstration of this from a publication that I did in 2015. So again, you have a ventral urethrotomy and the gracilis muscle, which is a, 
uh, medial thigh compartment muscle, which is not required uh, for um, um, adduction of the leg or, or use of the leg, is then rotated into the perineum and used to support the, the buccal graft, which is placed ventrally. So here again, here's the ventral buccal graft. And then what, what we do is we then quilt the buccal graft to the gracilis flaps. So it provides a great robust blood supply to that graft. And then here's a case of a patient who had a radical prostatectomy with salvage radiation therapy. And this buccal graft went from the bladder neck to the mid bulbar urethra. So this uh, ureteral catheter here is through the urethra. Here's the urethral plate dorsally, and this is the bladder neck. And here's with the graft sewn in, the gracilis muscle uh, tunneled into the perineum. It's important to make sure you have a very wide base tunnel, at least three finger breasts so you don't compress the pedicle and, and damage the flap. And then we fix this to the buccal graft, and it, uh, this is a great vascular supply that will provide support to the graft. And in our publication from 2015, we uh, published a series of 20 patients with a uh, mean follow-up of 40 months, an eight centimeter uh, mean stricture length with an 80% success. Uh, so again, this is a, provides a very high degree of success in, in the most difficult uh, strictures. Patients who are hypospadias uh, cripples are a special consideration uh, that are a very challenging group of patients. And I think there's a lot of great reconstructive surgeons who all have different ways uh, to manage these patients. And certainly uh, there's probably um, multiple ways to do this well. I'm gonna highlight some of the ways in which I think about this. Um, these are patients I think that we all see on occasion. This is a patient who had had a previous first stage buccal graft uh, elsewhere where the whole graft contracted. Uh, there was severe uh, fusion and cicatrix to the glands. And so this is a patient who we uh, did with what, what we call a three-stage technique instead of a two-stage technique. Now I will readily concede that with a typical graft contracture, uh, we will typically just redo the first stage as another two-stage procedure and that usually will work well. Uh, this is sort of a on table decision about whether or not a three stage technique may be needed. But if I, there seems to be uh, severe fibrosis of the corporal body's underlying graft bed where I'm concerned that another uh, graft may not take, then, then we'll use a three stage technique and we've had good luck with this. So, in doing this, I think it's critical to remove all the scar down to the corporal bodies if possible, uh, which you can see what we've done here. And then bringing the dartos over top of uh, the uh, corporal bodies as the graft bed and the skin over top of that. And we do that to revascularize this whole bed. And so we leave this for six, uh, a minimum of six months uh, before we then go in to uh, repeat the first stage with oral mucosa. And then we do a, uh, the third stage is tubularizing this um, to complete the urethroplasty. Other things that we certainly think about that there's not really much data uh, with patients with a poor graft bed, uh, one is which is hyperbaric oxygen. Uh, this is something that I now routinely use for any patient with a radiation stricture or a radiation rectorethral fistula. 
to try to bring as much blood supply to the tissues as possible. I think this is something that can also be considered in patients who've had, uh, and we've done this as well, in patients who've had Fournier's gangrene, uh, loss of the urethra, uh, to try to um, bring as much blood supply to that tissue bed as well. Again, not much data, but these are things to think about to improve your chances of success as much as possible. And again, in patients who have had severe infection, I think it's important to think about whether or not a graft is going to survive there or if a flap may be better. Uh, so again, you know, I think uh, flaps in patients who may have had long segment urethral loss in the bulbar urethra after Fourier's gangrene is something that uh, we would likely uh, consider um, understanding that the graft bed is likely to be very poor after a previous necrotizing infection. So what are the options for long segment obliteration where there's not a lumen? So uh, we, talk, we call this bulbar urethral necrosis. So somewhat similar to the previous um, slide that I showed on bulbar urethrostenosis, you can think about patients who had a, a prepuce and using a pedicled prepucial tube, which I showed you earlier, which can be used to bridge long segment defects in the bulbar urethra. But if they don't have a prepuce, then there's a, a host of things that uh, we have to think about in order to reconstruct that urethra. Um, an enterourethoplasty is an option, both as a pedicled or a free flap. And I'm going to show examples of this later, including a short video on a free flap enterourethoplasty. Radial forearm flap uh, urethoplasty can also be used to bridge long gaps. And I'm going to show a short video of this as well. Uh, Pre-laminated buccal graft on the scrotum or gracilis muscle can be used to subsequently tubularize as a uh, flap uh, for obliteration or can be used in a sandwich technique uh, with an overlapping uh, grafts uh, dorsally and ventrally. And then there's medial thigh flaps like the single pore flap, which I had shown earlier. So Dr. Cole Carney uh, has by far the largest experience with this, at least in the literature and, and likely uh, um, in clinical practice as well. Uh, he published 75 patients who had long segment bulbar urethral necrosis. I think most of these patients were after failed pelvic fracture urethroplasty and they showed a remarkable 76% uh, success rate in these very difficult patients. And you can see, they use a number of different uh, techniques, uh, as I think you have to be prepared in any of these very challenging cases. Most of these patients had a pedicled prepucial uh, tube uh, or flap. Uh, most of their patients are obviously uh, uncircumcised. Um, and then another of uh, different uh, procedures, including two enterourethoplasties, uh, a pedicled anterior thigh flap, um, sandwich dorsal and ventral buccal grass with gracilis muscle. And so all of these actually had uh, quite a good success rate. The scrotal dropback, which I'll show sort of a, uh, a pedicled uh, graft on the, on the scrotum, perhaps it didn't have quite a good success rate, but again, the numbers are so small, it's hard to say for sure. I think the takeaway is you wanna have a large toolbox to fix these very challenging strictures as you need to make intraoperative decisions that can be very challenging. So from Dr. Cole Carne's publication here is an example of a uh, 
prefabricated buccal graft on the scrotum on the dartos, which they place for several weeks till uh, it uh, develops a, a blood supply. And then this graft is then mobilized on its dartos pedicle and used either as an onlay uh, flap as it is here, or it can be tubularized for a long segment uh, obliteration as well. Uh, at Leahy, uh, we have published previously on using uh, pre-laminated grafts on the gracilis muscle. Again, the gracilis muscle is an excellent blood supply uh, where that graft can be uh, pre-laminated. Again, you know, it's quilted. Uh, this could be a skin graft or a buccal graft to the gracilis muscle and then rotated in for augmentation. Uh, Dr. Nikolovsky published uh, a case report doing this with buccal graft. Uh, similar to that uh, paper that I showed in 2002 from Leahy, where the buccal graft was pre-laminated on the gracilis muscle. Um, there was a dorsal graft placed on the uh, corporal bodies here. And then you can see subsequently after pre-lamination, uh, this dorsal graft has excellent take. And you can see the graft on the gracilis muscle once transferred in the perineum also has excellent take. And so here you have the sandwich technique of overlapping graphs to fix a, a complex obliteration in the bulbar uh, urethra. So again, I think this is an excellent example of what can be done for long segment obliteration in the bulb. Enterourethroplasty can be performed both as a, a pedicled flap or a free flap. Uh, Dr. Mundy and Andrich uh, in 2010 in the BJU published 11 patients who had a pedicled sigmoid flap urethroplasty. The mean stricture length was eight centimeters and at a two to 12 year follow-up had three recurrences. And the schematic here uh, from their paper, again, is a uh, bowel resection of the sigmoid, which is then um, uh, taken transpubically uh, to fix and uh, a long segment bulbar obliteration as an interposition flap. So again, the proximal end sewn to the apex of the membranous urethra or prostate and the distal end, wherever the distal end of the obliteration would be. I think the challenges of a pedicled sigmoid flap are uh, you never know exactly how long the mesentery on the sigmoid is gonna be and how easily this is gonna reach. And then you also have to bring this transpubically, which I think can be uh, challenging as well. Now to overcome the um, limitations of the length of the mesentery and the uncertainty of the length of the mesentery and, and also the challenges in bringing this transpubically, um, an enterourethroplasty can be performed as a free flap. And Dr. Zhao uh, from NYU is gracious enough to provide a uh, video of a case in which they did for long segment bulbar obliteration, which you can see spans the entire bulbar urethra. So here's a flexible cystoscope through the proximal end of the obliteration and a bougie through the distal end of the obliteration. And uh, then in concert with their plastic surgeons, they harvest a piece of small bowel off of its vascular uh, pedicle. Here's the vascular pedicle isolated. Uh, and you can see demonstrating a good, healthy, robust blood supply to the piece of uh, small bowel. Then a microvascular anastomosis is performed. And then a catheter brought through and the um, using uh, ICG uh, to show good perfusion 
after the microvascular anastomosis is performed of the uh, flap. And once the blood supply is confirmed, uh, the flap is then tailored um, to the appropriate size over a catheter. And then the proximal and distal anastomosis is performed just like an anastomotic urethroplasty. They brought out this limb here to be able to uh, visually monitor the uh, blood supply to the flap. And here is the urethrogram uh, showing no uh, contrast extravasation. A radial forearm flap urethroplasty is another um, way to bridge long segment gaps. And again, we've uh, been given a video from uh, Drs. Chung and Volsky from the University of Washington on a uh, case involving uh, a long urethral defect of the bulbar uh, urethra. For our patient, a vertical perineal incision was made to allow dissection of the urethra and measurement of the length of the defect. After the urethral scar was excised, the defect measured 10 centimeters. The plastic surgery team was able to isolate and dissect the radial forearm free flap from the left forearm. The urology team then tubularized the urethral flap over a catheter. The plastic surgery service prepared the recipient vasculature, expecting to receive the vascular pedicle in this orientation. A tunnel was created between the perineal and inguinal incisions. This allowed passage for the vascular pedicle. The urethral to flap anastomoses were performed in a similar manner as an excision and primary anastomotic urethroplasty. The plastic surgery team then performed the microvascular anastomosis. During this process, a microvascular anastomotic coupler was placed and connected to a flow coupler device, which provided an audible way to evaluate flap health immediately after surgery. So in conclusion, um, rectal mucosa is an excellent graft and oral mucosa is contraindicated or unavailable. And multiple tissue tra transfer techniques allow reconstruction of the vast majority of anterior urethral strictures. Having a big toolbox allows uh, you to offer patients reconstruction, even in the most challenging uh, situations. Uh, thank you very much. Here's my contact information. If you want to reach out and have any questions about this talk or anything else, I'm always happy to 
to chat. Uh, here's my email as well as my Twitter handle. Uh, thank you so much. And if you wouldn't mind uh, filling out um, what you thought about today's uh, lecture, please share uh, your thoughts by taking this survey. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Learn more by visiting our website, urologycovid.ucsf.edu.